Hey, welcome to Valley Church. We're so glad that you join us today. And I got to tell you, uh, we have received so much positive feedback about the Revelation series. Uh, and it is like, it is curious. Uh, there are some crazy, unusual things inside the story, but it is the gospel. And uh, it is awesome to see Jesus in the text. And I'm so glad that uh, you've been joining us. So right now, why don't you grab your scripture journal if you have it. Grab your Bible if you've got your flat screen like I do. Get it out and click over to Revelation chapter 8. We have been through seven chapters. We're jumping into chapter 8 this week. And just to uh, remind us, Pastor Quentin, uh, for the past two weeks, he has taken us through the first six seals. Uh, and and uh, two weeks ago, he reminded us that the scroll that is being opened, that nobody else could open, could only be opened by one person. And John, the, the author, the writer of Revelation, he's like, who's going to open this? And he hears the Lion of Judah. And the Lion of Judah was behind him. And when he turns around, he's expecting to see this strong, ferocious beast. But instead, you know what he sees? He sees a, a slaughtered lamb. He, he sees that the Lion of Judah is also the lamb that has been sacrificed with, with marks of sacrifice on him. Revelation's favorite image of Jesus is the lamb. And it's only the lamb that had the power and the authority to crack the seals and open the scroll and reveal everything that is written in it. Uh, and not only the past two weeks, but what we're getting into today, Revelation chapter 8, if you're not already there, we've got it right here for you. When he opened the seventh and final seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. I don't know if you've ever experienced a level of awe and what like this. Like, I know I'm not gonna perfectly illustrate this, but uh, have you ever seen one of these? <laughs> it's a Rubik's Cube. Uh, the Rubik's Cube was invented in 1974, and I am a child of the 80s, and I got to experience the Rubik's Cube in its height of popularity. And uh, we had one in the house. My mom learned how to solve it. It was kind of cool. I tried to solve it. I could always get one side, but really none of the other sides. And I remember one day taking my Rubik's Cube. It was actually my mom's Rubik's Cube to school. I kind of snuck it in my pocket. I left the house. And as a, a 10 or 11 year old boy, I was walking down the, the sidewalk on my way to school thinking, everybody is going to be so impressed that I have a Rubik's Cube. And I was just kind of holding it and, and I was flipping it. There's something fun about flipping, flipping it and uh, seeing it spin. And uh, I got a little overconfident and I just took the Rubik's Cube and I just flipped it so high in the air. And I realized that I threw it a little too high and it was a little too far out of my reach. And as I was running for it, the cube, it's coming down and just outside of my reach, hits the ground, and it shatters into over a dozen pieces. And in that moment, my heart sank. In that moment, I got this disgusting feeling in my stomach. Anxiety rose, and I, I didn't know what to do. I just stood there in silence. What is my mom going to do? What's she going to think? What is she going to say? So I did what any 10 or 11-year-old boy would do. I I grabbed all of these pieces, I scooped them all up, and I carried them back to my house. And I went into the backyard and I buried it. I buried every single piece thinking, she'll never know it was me, she'll never find it. 
Uh, I don't know if she ever did. I don't know if she, she ever really missed that Rubik's Cube. But what I do know is there was a moment where I wasn't sure what was about to happen. There was a moment where inside of me I wondered, what have I done? That's exactly what's happening here in the text. There was silence for about a half an hour and heaven absolutely froze. And all of the worshiping, all of the thunder, the peals of thunder and the lightning and the, the holy, holy, holy from the angels and the worship from the elders. Heaven was silent. What does the scroll say? All of the seals have been broken. What is he going to do? All of that stopped for about 30 minutes. Everyone in heaven was anticipating God's next move. Look at verse 2. Then I saw the seven angels who stand in the presence of God. Seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel with a golden incense burner came and stood at the altar and he was given a large amount of incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar in front of the throne. The smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints, it went up into the presence of God from the angel's hand. Uh, this is amazing. I don't know if you've ever seen an incense burner like this. It would have been like a saucer, kind of a bowl, maybe even kind of a ball that was used. And it was on a chain sometimes. And the incense was just burning and smoke was bellowing out of it. And, and it was a pleasing scent. It was, it was a substance that, would, that was pleasing to smell. And, and in the Old Testament, as well as the New Testament, when we see incense, frequently it is associated with prayer. And that's what's happening here. These things are being offered up to God. The offering of incense here symbolizes uh, the, the earlier prayers of the martyred saints. You may remember this from chapter 6, verse 10. They cried out in a loud voice, Lord, the one who is holy and true. How long until you judge those who live on the earth and avenge your blood? It's like they're saying, God, the world has judged your people long enough. When will it be your time to judge the world? You know, what I love about this prayer is it's a genuine heart cry from God's people for them to see God's glory and his righteousness and his power seen in a world that has been against him. It's a genuine cry for evil to be defeated, but they leave it in his hands. Their, their prayers aren't forceful or bullish or uh, something they want to do. They're like, God, when are you going to do this? We leave this to you. Look at verse 5. After this, the angel took the incense burner and he filled it with fire from the altar and he hurled it to the earth. There were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. I mean, this is God's initial response to the prayer of those saints. And, and he's like, let's go. It begins now. Look at verse 6. And the seven angels who had the seven trumpets, they prepared to blow them. They each had their musical instrument. They were each ready to blow their trumpet as these seven trumpet judgments begin to be unleashed and told right here in the text. What we, what we get to see here right after the 30 minutes of silence is awesome. You know, trumpets are blasting one after another after another. And throughout the Old Testament, you know, you may have noticed that the blowing of trumpets, uh, it is often to you know call people to assembly or sometimes trumpets are blown to announce a feast and other times to announce a new king but mostly 
Trumpets are blown to warn people of imminent danger. That's what's happening here. In other words, these trumpets were like an alarm. These trumpets are like a notification. Something is coming. I don't know if that's ever happened to you where you've just heard an alarm and you were like, what is going on? I remember being uh, married. It was very young. We were in uh, an apartment building, my wife and I, and it was four in the morning. We were sleeping and we kind of heard this sound. Bam, 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 bam. And I'm just like looking at my alarm clock. I'm looking at my wife. I'm kind of like, do you have something going on over there? She's like, I got nothing. And so I jump up out of bed and as I'm getting closer to the front door of our apartment building, the noise is getting louder, but now I'm not just hearing the alarm. Bah, bah. I'm hearing there's banging on my door and I open my door and the siren is just screaming into my apartment room from the hallway and, and the landlord is there and she's like, you've got to get out of the building. It's on fire. And I turn around and I say, Carrie, we need to run. And so I grab my wallet and I grab my car keys because if we need to get out of here, we need to go far. And my wife, she's scrambling and she picks up her laptop and her wedding photos. And she says, what do we do now? I said, let's leave. So we run out of the apartment building. We go down the stairs. We go out the back entrance and we just see everybody from our apartment building there. These alarms rang to let everybody know there is danger in this complex. And as we're standing there, we're meeting people and greeting people that we have never met before. There's a lady over in the corner standing as close as she can to where the fire actually is, and she's just smoking. And I'm like, there's enough smoke here, ma'am. Uh, there's another lady I met, and she is in a pink robe wearing pink slippers, and her toes are, you know, just out, and it's like so cold, and she's holding her cat. She's holding her cat, petting her cat. She says to me, this is Whiskers. She's never been outside before. She just peed on me. She said that and I'm looking at her and I'm like, this, this isn't real. In this fire, what was happening was there's a secure entrance in our apartment building. And there are two doors behind the entry door. One door goes to the downstairs apartments. The other door goes to the upstairs apartments. And in the secure entrance is all of our mail. Somebody had taken a bottle, filled it with gasoline and a handkerchief, lit it on fire and threw it inside of that secure entrance. And as, as things are ablaze, my wife looks at me and she says, ah, oh, good thing we got our mail today. I'm like, that's what's on your mind? I guess it is good we got our mail because we weren't getting in there. We weren't getting through that door. And eventually all of these police cars show up and uh, an ambulance and fire trucks. They put the fire out, they cleared the building and they said, you guys can all go back to your rooms. It was intense, it was crazy. My wife and I, we lay back down in our bed she looks at me so sweetly and she says, Brandon, we survived our first fire. I'm like, I hope it's our last. This alarm though, the alarm, the fire alarm, the screaming from the fire alarm in the hallway into our apartment, it was a warning, it was a sign, it was an alert. Just like these trumpets, these trumpets are announcing eminent danger here in the book of Revelation. God is answering the prayers of the saints. He's, he's reminding the world that he is the creator and he is in control. He is king and he is judge and judgment is coming. But he's not blindsiding the world. He's already said so much throughout all of scripture. And in addition to that, he announces what's coming 
through these, these trumpets. He's announcing that he is going to be pouring out his wrath on the world. Look at these trumpet judgments starting in verse 7. The first angel blew his trumpet and hail and fire mixed with blood. They were hurled to the earth. So a third of the earth was burnt up. A third of the trees were, were burnt up and all of the grass was burnt up. The second angel blew his trumpet and something like a great mountain ablaze with fire was hurled into the sea. So a third of the sea became blood. And a third of the living creatures in the sea died and a third of the ships, they were all destroyed. And a third angel blew his trumpet and, and a great star blazing like a torch, it fell from heaven. It fell onto a third of the rivers and springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood and a third of the waters became Wormwood. So, so many of the people died from the waters because they had been made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet and a, and a third of the sun was struck and a third of the moon was struck and a third of the stars so, so that a third of them were darkened and a third of the day was without light, a third of the night was without light. You thought things were difficult with our supply chain today. I mean, what John is seeing and what he is sharing, uh, it's going to be like nothing this world has ever seen before. Everything that all of us have ever trusted for nourishment is absolutely devastated. You know, these first trumpets, they center around creation. Maybe write that uh, in the margin of your Bible. All comfort and all access to all of these things, it is limited. It is very difficult. And the world is going to be hungry and, and hoarding. The things that, that we need to survive, they're, they're taken away. There will be an incredible shortage. The, the way that uh, shortages affect people, is, it's maddening, right? I mean, we've seen it recently. How many of you in the past three years have rationed toilet paper? Yes, like that, but with everything. And, and during that time, like, like every square counted, didn't it? You know what I mean. And we keep advancing as a culture, right? Like we progress as a culture. There's all kinds of, of great inventions that, that make life easier. You know, cars continue to get better. Homes continue to get better. Uh, things are created to help us make work easier. You know, we, we used to have Morse code and then we had home phones and then pay phones and then cordless phones and now cell phones. Like our culture continues to progress. Our understanding of the body it continues to increase and there are new discoveries, better techniques, better technologies. Doctors and scientists are coming up with better medicines, new medicines, like life-saving procedures. It's, it's all pretty amazing what, what we as humans have been able to do. But if you're taking notes, I'd love you to write this down. Humanity is not on a pathway to perfection, but followers of Jesus are. We put our trust in a lot of things, but Jesus is the only one who will follow through and not let us down. We might say the world is advancing as a civilization. You know, we're, we're learning and we're growing, but, but the world's not getting better. The, the world is not healing itself. If, if you're following Jesus with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and, and if if you've given your life to Jesus Christ because of the work that he has done on the cross and through the resurrection, 
then you are in a process called sanctification. And that's one of those $20,000 church words that, that actually means becoming holy. If you're following Jesus, you and I are in a process of becoming holy. Sanctification is the supernatural work of God uh, rescuing us from our sin and restoring us and, and conforming us to the image of Jesus. We're becoming Christ-like. You know, I, I don't get that without grace. I don't get that without the mercy that Jesus offers. And by the way, grace is receiving something good that we don't deserve. And mercy is holding back punishment that we do deserve. And we don't get this sanctification without the grace and the mercy of Jesus. We keep seeing these fractions, right? Like one-third, one-third, one-third. The fact that John presents these judgments using fractions, it actually shows God's mercy. You know, all the world is relying on is advancement and resources. And God is saying, I want you to rely on me. I don't think these fractions actually symbolize exact actual statistics. They show that God is actually holding back a portion of his power. He is not doing everything he's capable of doing. He actually has the ability to pour out 100% of his wrath on the world. Maybe you remember this, 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord doesn't delay in his promise, as some understand delay. But he is patient. This is all part of his patience. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. You know, each trumpet that's blown is, is a warning. Each judgment that destroys a fraction of the things that we need to survive, they're actually an extension of God's mercy because he's not doing all that he's able to do. You know, he stops short in hopes of, of grabbing the world's attention. He wants to grab everyone's attention. God wants everyone to see who he is and come to repentance. Repentance is a, is a big word too, right? Uh, if you want to make a little note, repent, it means to turn and not return. God wants us to turn from our sin and turn toward him. And these one-third judgments are our warnings of total judgment. He's not there yet. You know, his judgment at this point, it's only partial. He's leaving time for people to continue to repent. Look at uh, Revelation 8, 13. I looked and heard an eagle flying high overhead, crying out in a loud voice, woe, woe, woe to those who live on the earth because of the remaining trumpet blasts that the three angels are about to sound. These first four trumpets center around the creation that God has given us. And then these horns uh, that are coming are called woes. Like these, these next three trumpets that are coming are going to be not just devastating to the earth. These next three are going to be about those who dwell on the earth. Look at Revelation chapter 9. The fifth angel blew his trumpet and I saw a star that had fallen from heaven to earth. The key for the shaft to the abyss was given to him. He opened the shaft to the abyss and smoke came up out of the shaft like smoke from a great furnace so that the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke from the shaft. Then locusts, locusts came out of the smoke onto the earth and power was given to them like the power that scorpions have on earth. Like this is, this is nuts. Like what is happening here? 
We see, we see this fallen star, but I'm telling you, it's not actually a star because the scripture says what John sees is this fallen star, but it's actually a hymn. It's not a thing. It's most likely an angel. And it's not clear if it's a fallen angel uh, who is given a key or if it's one of God's angels that God has given authority to open the shaft to the abyss. But I'll tell you this, either way, either way, uh, we see the authority of God in this moment because it's God who gives the key and allows so much if it's a fallen angel. And if it's one of God's loyal angels, he releases him to open the shaft. And then this fifth trumpet, it announces and unleashes these demonic beasts all over the earth. And, and we see that, that they are ready to bring judgment. They're ready to bring destruction. They are ready to bring torment and terror. But again, God is in control. These, these demonic beings are not in control. He only gives them so much access. Look at verse four in chapter nine. They were told, these demonic beasts, they were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have God's seal on their forehead. God's like, I need to do something. I need to do something that's going to protect my people because I don't want them to experience the coming wrath. They're going to experience tribulation. They're going to experience persecution and difficulty, but they're never going to experience my wrath. Never! Like, that's grace and mercy from Jesus in action. When Jesus steps into your life, Jesus fully and finally satisfies God's wrath for the sin that you have committed and any sin that you will commit. That's not an excuse for us to go on sinning. It is a joyous celebration knowing that Jesus has paid the price for those who put their faith and trust in him. He's already drank that cup. So for those who are followers of the one true living God, there's, there's a mark. And this mark is recognizable by every one of these demons that are wreaking havoc on earth. Some sort of covering for Christ followers. That Christ followers are safe from harm of, of these judgments. But, but those who are not sealed will experience torment like they have never experienced before. Look at verse 5. They were not permitted to kill them, but were to torment them for five months. Their torment is like the torment caused by the scorpion when it stings somebody. This is constant. It's regular. They're vulnerable. And for five months, these demons for five months can only harm those who did not have the protection of God. They didn't have his mark. I don't know about you. I don't even like mosquitoes. I hate mosquitoes so much. They just bother me. They're a nuisance. I was at somebody's house recently. There was a youth ministry event. I was picking up one of my boys and they, I just tell you, I went into their backyard. I said, hey, I'm here. Come on, let's go. And he's like, just a little bit longer. And I was like, all right, because I don't want to be the dad that rushes him out. I'm like, all right, hang out a little bit longer. And bam, oh, I got hit. And then I got hit on my arm and I was wearing shorts and I got bit in the leg. Like within like three seconds, I got bit three times. And I'm just like, I can't handle this. So I said, I'll be in the car. And I just went to the car. It had air conditioning. It's not the same thing as God's protection, but it had air conditioning. I just needed to get away. So in the first four trumpets, God devastates our earthly resources. Now he's taken away our personal comforts. Like those of you who trust in your bodies, I mean, you just love how muscular you are. You love how healthy you are. You love, you love how much power you have. And he's like, no, you're not going to trust in any of that. I want you to trust me. 
You're going to feel helpless immediately when you are tormented for five months with these stings. Everything that you've relied on to survive, it's just going to be gone or it's going to be scarce. Look at verse 6. In those days, people will seek death. That's how constant and disturbing this is. They're going to seek death, but they will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. God's not going to let them die. Do you know why? It's not God torturing people. He's creating opportunity for reconciliation. He wants people to come to him. He wants people to turn from their sin and to turn toward him. God has, has done his job. He has been doing his job. He's done more than we deserve. And he's just hoping that people will take steps toward him. You know, this seems like torture, but it's actually an incredible extension of mercy and opportunity because once you're gone, you're gone. You know, I heard a pastor say that there is a death worse than physical death. And you think about that and you're like, is there really? And the answer is yes. People who die without a relationship with Jesus Christ die an everlasting death, eternal torment and eternal separation from God. And John goes on to describe what he sees in his vision. And he, he, he sees locusts. He says, I see these things that look like locusts. And, and he says, you know, they look like horses prepared for battle. He said something like a crown was on their head. They, they had human faces, hair like a woman's hair, teeth like the teeth of a lion. And their chests were like iron chest plates. They had wings that created such an incredible sound. It sounded like running horses and stingers like scorpions. And then he describes the king of this evil crew. Look at verse 11. They, they had their king, the angel of the abyss. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon. His name in Greek uh, is Apollyon. What a, an appropriate symbolic name. John is, is saying the name of this king in Hebrew, it means destruction. And in Greek, it means destroyer. That was the mission of this evil empire. This, this group of demonic locusts, they're coming in to steal, kill, and destroy. Look at verse 12. The first woe had passed. Remember, there's three woes. There are still two more woes to come after this. I kind of wonder, if followers of Jesus are being protected, where are they right now? What's happening to Christ followers in this time? And I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm sure life is not easy, but the fact that they are being protected, they're not being chased, they're not being bitten, they're not being tormented, makes them kind of incredible witnesses during this time, don't you think? I mean, this is an outward, obvious opportunity for people to say there's something different about them. Uh, maybe even hopefully to draw people who are not following Jesus into repentance and give their life to Christ. You know, when, when people who are not yet following Jesus see you as a follower of Christ, when people who are not yet following Jesus see you, they should see that there's something different about you, something good different. Pastor Quentin talked all about that last week. If you didn't catch the message, please go back and watch it. There should be something different about us, something good different. In fact, maybe, maybe write this down. The way people see you 
will affect the way that people see Jesus. That's a lot of responsibility. That's a lot of pressure. My hope is that when people see me, they see a difference, but they see a good difference. You know, the fact that those who are not following Jesus were, were being tormented for five months and those who are following are protected. It's a, it's a profound testimony. It's an incredible opportunity to share the gospel. Our witness for Jesus is active when we're having good days and when we're having bad days. And, and it doesn't seem fair, but you and I, we don't get a day off from being Christ followers. And it doesn't seem fair, but our identity in Christ it never has a vacation day. In fact, as we interact with people, we've got to do our best to bring encouragement and grace and mercy and truth in a winsome way. Ultimately, if people hate me because of Jesus, I should expect that. But if people hate Jesus because of me, that's a problem. Look at verse 13 through 18. The sixth angel blew his trumpet. From the four horns of the golden altar that is before God, I heard a voice. Say to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels bound at the, the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who were prepared for the hour, day, month, and year, they were released to kill a third of the human race. The number of mounted troops was 200 million. I heard their number. This is how I saw the horses and their riders in the vision. They had breastplates that were fiery red, hyacinth blue and sulfur yellow. The heads of the horses were like the heads of lions. And from their mouths came fire, smoke and sulfur. A third of the, the human race was killed by these three plagues, by the fire, the smoke, and the sulfur that came from their mouths. What an incredible sight. What an incredible visual that John is seeing here. God is continuing to answer the prayers of those martyred. You know, he, he is, is, and by the way, when we see these four angels, he's either releasing four angels or he's unleashing the wind he previously restrained. He's just going deeper, wider, a little more severe. This sixth trumpet is an escalation of the fifth trumpet. And God continues to give people time, but he is not slow to fulfill his promise. And 200 million cavalry. Can you, like, I can't even imagine that. That's so huge. In fact, like, that's like a thousand times the size of Rome's army. And John is seeing all this unfold in this vision. And, and as all this plays out with what he is seeing, with, with the world's access to scripture, it kind of boggles my mind. It probably boggles a lot of people's mind inside of the church. How are people not recognizing that all of this is happening and it's all happening at the hand of God? It's happening right before them. There's still time to repent. When we look at scripture, there's still time. How are they missing this opportunity? And, and, this sulfur and fire and smoke, this is really interesting. I mean, uh, it, it could be this incredibly devastating like phenomenon. Some scholars say that maybe it's not literal. And I think this is interesting. Some scholars have said that the, the fire, smoke and sulfur coming from the mouth is, is actually figurative. That the threat, it's not literal burning. That 
These are not human flamethrowers who are bringing death and torment. But actually, this, this fire and this sulfur and this smoke that are coming out of their mouth is parallel to to false teaching. You know, people consistently believe in false teaching to find what comforts them. I think we've all fall prey to that from time to time. That verse says that a third of the human race was killed by the plagues of fire, smoke, and sulfur coming from their mouths. Like, how do we kill people with false teaching? Remember, there is a death worse than dying. That's eternal separation and torment. The idea of the tongue having the power to to move people and for the the tongue to be a fiery flame, it's not new in Scripture. James actually, in chapter 3, verse 6, says, And among all of the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your whole entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. You know, there's a lot of power in our words. You know, words can burn. We can use what we say to build up others or to to break people down. And in this case, you know, the tongue can present false teaching. The tongue is like a fire. It doesn't just burn us, but it can burn others. And false teaching isn't just an alternative opinion here in the text. It's, It's not humans trying to get people to follow their way. It's evil. It's demonic. And, and the king of the abyss, he wants to steal souls and is willing to do whatever it takes. And as there are living witnesses to God's protection on earth, there are also living adversaries. There will be false teaching on earth, not letting the world hear and believe the truth that these Christians are bringing. Look at verse 20. The rest of the people who were not killed by these plagues, they... They still, they did not repent of their works uh, at their hands to stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood, which cannot see, which cannot hear, which cannot walk, verse 21. And they did not repent. They still didn't repent of their murders, of their sorceries, of their sexual immorality, or their theft. You know, we're reading here from the CSB Bible, uh, but the NLT, the New Living Translation, it actually uses the word refuse. It's not that they just didn't. It's that they refused to repent. Their hearts were hard. They loved this false teaching. They were finding their rescue and comfort in something that wasn't true. Instead of looking at these people who had the protection of God in their life. Their hearts were hard and they were were tethered to their sexual freedoms. They were tethered to their personal powers, to their wealth, to their worth. You know, These aren't old, irrelevant sins. These are the same struggles that you and I see today all over the place. They're still not humbling themselves to repent and receive God's grace and mercy. Each trumpet is a display of God's power and a display of his authority, giving people an opportunity to repent. Through all this display of power and destruction and torment, people still refuse to repent. But God's mercy is greater. I just wonder, where's your security? What brings you meaning and value? Is there something in your life that that you've allowed to take up space inside of your heart? You know, God, you can have everything in my life 
accept this little thing. Let me just hold on to this little thing. That little thing is just kind of pushing Jesus just out of the center, just a little bit. And I can't imagine any of us would say that, that Abaddon or Apollyon is our king. But for many of us, we have put our hope in things that are destructive. We've put our hope in things that push Jesus off his throne and out of the center of our lives. And when you're not going to God for your restoration and your rescue, when you're going to do your own patchwork, what is it that you're running to? Is it like what we see here at the end of Revelation chapter 9? I mean, it, it, maybe, it's, maybe it's something more modern like video games. Maybe it's food or the internet. Come on, just, just one more look, one more click, one more Amazon Prime Day. Come on, just give me another minute. You know, some of you are saying, I just need, I just need a little more time. I just need a just one more puff. It helps with my anxiety. It, it relieves the pressure. It numbs the pain. Some of you are like, just one more drink. God will use these plagues to show people that everything they're relying on, it just can't save them. God extends his grace and mercy to all who repent. Every single person who repents. And, and Jesus is looking at some of you right now and he's saying, with your doubts, I love you. With your insecurities, I still fight for you. With your addictions and your poor decisions, I still died for you. With your anxiety and your worry and your wonder, I still want you. And to those who feel messy, Jesus said, it's actually my blood that cleans you. What Jesus did on the cross, it's enough to pay the debt that you owe for every sin that you have ever committed and every sin that you ever will commit. Not that we abuse that, but we get to find rescue in the person of Jesus. Right now, I just want to lead us into a, a brief prayer of confession and repentance. And if you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ right now, I want you to know that today... Jesus will forgive you and Jesus will unleash new life inside of you. And here's the prayer. Uh, if you want to bow your head and close your eyes, uh, I would encourage you to just pray this. God, I admit that I am a sinner and I need you. God, I believe that Jesus is who scripture says he is and I believe in the resurrection. I want you. And God, right now, I commit my life to you. And I know that's not a promise of an easy life, but that is a promise of an eternal life with you. God, put people in my life to encourage me, to sharpen me, to grow me, to be more like you. God, I love you. Thanks for starting with me today. If you pray that prayer for the very first time, I just want to ask you, would you do me a favor? Would you send an email to pray? at valley.church and let us know. Let us celebrate with you. Let us encourage you. And I want you to know this truth. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, you are new. Welcome to the family of God. Thanks for joining us this, this week. Uh, I love you and I can't wait to see what God does in your life.